The Retro Lounge is a look back into the archives of the Recruiters Lounge podcast with Jim Stroud and Karen Matinen. The Recruiters Lounge podcast posted weekly between the years of 2005 and 2010. With energy, wit, and opposite points of view, <laughs> Jim Stroud and Karen Madden discussed, debated, and squabbled like children over HR issues that affected the workplace and society overall for the benefit of all who would listen. This episode of the Recruiter's Lounge originally aired on June 12, 2007. The original title, About This H-1B Visa Thing. This was the original description. Jim Stroud and Karen Matnan discuss visas, citizenship, and terrorist recruiting tactics before describing the plot of an action movie that somebody really needs to make. <laughs> Find out what we were talking about way back when, June 12, 2007, right after this special message. Critical race theory supports the logic that all whites are born racist and oppressors by nature. They are to be viewed as a collective threat to non-white people and beyond redemption. This sentiment is already infecting the American workplace via racial sensitivity and diversity trainings. Despite the obvious controversy, such trainings are being accepted as just and fair and at an alarming pace across corporate America. Racism Reimagined How Critical Race Theory Imperils the American Workplace is an ebook that I wrote. In it, I do three things. One, I explain the basics of critical race theory. Two, I demonstrate how critical race theory is negatively affecting the American workplace. And three, I hope, I hope, I inspire a resistance to critical race theory being taught in the workplace. In light of the increased sensitivity to recent events like the George Floyd protests, the emergence of cancel culture, and the pressures on corporations to adhere to political correctness, the information in my ebook, Racism Reimagined, How Critical Race Theory Imperils the American Workplace, is a counterbalance that should be carefully considered prior to new investments in diversity training. Racism Reimagined, How Critical Race Theory Imperils the American Workplace is a free resource that can be downloaded and, by all means, shared with those in your network. A download link is available in the podcast description. This edition of the Recruiter's Lounge is brought to you in part by Affinity Circles. Affinity Circles hosts the official online communities for over 100 leading university alumni associations and professional organizations, representing more than 12 million undergraduates and degree professionals worldwide. For more information about Affinity Circles and to take advantage of a special offer available only to my listeners, visit www.jimstroud.com slash AC. That's www.jimstroud.com slash AC. Radio, radio, radio Innovative audio on demand. Hi, I'm Jim Stroud. Welcome to the Recruiter's Lounge. The Recruiter's Lounge is a podcast of news, interviews, and commentary on the recruiting industry, and it was designed with you in mind. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your time in The Recruiter's Lounge. Hi, if you've been now uh, recruiting for more than three seconds, uh, then you're well aware that there is a war for talent, but have no fear. You have a powerful ally, and it is called the internet. Now, if you're not sure how to use the internet to find resumes or passive leads, 
then I suggest you check out uh, my training videos. Uh, on my site I have the Recruiter's Guide to Google, uh, how to automate some of the sourcing process, and others uh, that will take you from being a novice to an expert, and maybe if you're well acquainted with search engines, they definitely will take your uh, skills just a little bit higher. But um, don't just take my word for it. Listen, if you would, to a testimonial from one of my customers. Hi, Jim. This is Norm Lieberman. As you know, I'm the owner, president of a very successful recruiting firm. I'm an old-timer in the business, been in the business about 26 years. I'm very successful, and, uh, but I'm not up-to-date and great on the computer. I, I get all my resumes the old-fashioned way by, by calling, dialing into companies. And uh, then when I came across your site and talked to you, I decided to buy the video uh, that you have on how to secure resumes via uh, the Yahoo site. And I bought that, and it was just like you told me. Very easy to follow, very clear cut, um, works great, just like you said in the video. Uh, it wasn't uh, laborious, it wasn't uh, uh, strung out with all kinds of technical information. You called it all down to very user-friendly material, and I can't thank you enough. It was more than worth the money, and uh, hope you keep coming out with other videos because uh, you can count me as a customer. Appreciate it. Thanks again. Bye-bye. If you would like to know how to use the internet to find resumes and passive leads online, simply go to my website, www.jimstroud.com, and click on the training videos link. It's at the top of the page. That's www.jimstroud.com. And again, uh, click the training videos link, which is located at the top of the page. Thank you in advance for your business, and hope to hear your testimonial here soon. Hello, welcome boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages. This is another episode of the Recruiter's Lounge. I'm your host, Jim Stroud, and with me sitting beside me looking so lovely and so beautiful and so talented and so wonderful and so so vibrant, so gleeful, so insert compliment here, Karen Madden. How are you, Karen? You miss voracious. Did I get every word down this list you sent me? <laughs> no, you missed the word. I'm sorry. You got up to say that all over again. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Um, you the man. You, you the man. And you the woman, Karen. You are the woman. Oh, thank you so yeah. much. You make me blush every time. Bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan. Oh. There you go. And never let him forget that he's a man. Oh, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's my job. It's my duty. <laughs> You know, you know what you add to your duties is something to do with this with this H one B visa thing. Oh yeah, it's, it's it's such a big to do. I've been hearing a lot about um, what our company is going to do about this H one B visa issue. I hear, uh, as you as you know, and as probably everybody knows by now, um, the visa cap was reached in a record time, like in a day, mm-hmm. and companies could not get any more visas. So now people are just sort of scratching their heads, trying to figure out, hey, what are we going to do? when we can't get enough visas uh, for people that we want to hire or, worst-case scenario, people we've already hired and, <laughs> and now we can't bring them into our country because of these visa issues. Well, you know, 
it's been interesting. I mean, one of the things too that people didn't realize too about that, and I think we mentioned this briefly, was that they did allow. There's still the cap. I don't believe has been met for the college graduates yet. Okay. Masters and graduates, but here's an interesting twist. Okay, and let's not make this political because this is not meant to be political. Okay. Mm. But the government just said. Um, I guess they're in kind of like knocking their heads together and coming up with some idea. And they're thinking about doing amnesty for 12 million aliens. 12 million aliens. Mm-hmm. Mm, let's not make it political. No, so, this is not, well, let's not. Okay? How, how, because, how did, I mean, this could be pros and cons for our economy. True. Let's, let's talk about the um, the pros of it. Okay, if you have 12 million aliens that are now legal mm-hmm. to work in, in, in our Well, let's country. look at how they're going to do it first before everybody gets all in an uproar, okay? Yeah, please. Um, what they said that they were going to try to do is have them over a period of time, I think there was five years, they had to pay off a $5,000 fine, and then they had to leave their country. within the, They got a visa, and they get to leave, and then they reapply to come back in. So if, if you're so to make sure I, I got this straight. So if you're illegal and you want to you want to come clean and and be legit, uh, which is short for legitimate for our overseas listeners, mm-hmm. um, a legitimate citizen uh, of our great country. But before we continue, I want you everybody to know I recently got my citizenship. I just got it last year, so I've been in the boat. I know what it is. I came here legally, though. Okay, just want to clarify that. But I just got my citizenship last uh, last August. And it was a wonderful thing. It was, wasn't it? Okay, but go ahead. You're asking Okay, so this is for clarity's sake of my end. So if someone was here illegally and they want to um, become a legitimate citizen of uh, this great country, mm-hmm. um, then they would step forth, pay a $5,000 fine that they will have an extended period of time to pay off, mm-hmm. and then um, they would have to leave the country and then reapply again um, as a citizen. Well, they don't, you don't get citizenship, and that's a misnomer most people think. You autumn, What you do is you get a temporary permanent residence card. A temporary what? Permanent residence. Okay. Green card. And okay. after a couple of years, it goes to you have to re- apply for the permanent residence card, and then you have to wait another five or six years to get your permanent, your citizenship. So there's several processes you have to apply to get that. Ah. See, we can't automatically. I mean, it. I. I didn't. I did mine twenty years later. I had. And by the way, just having children does not automatically make you a citizen either. Well, the children who are born here are citizens automatically, right? Does not make you automatic citizen either. It makes the children citizens. It makes the children citizen, which I have a problem with. I mean, I came here legally and I had a green card and everything else. My citizens. My kids were born by American husband. Um, and I did the process. I mean, I went through the process. I had to stand in the lines and apply just like everybody else did, and my American husband got me in, okay? Did you cry? Oh, I know no. you cried. No. I'm you not didn't cry? Let's not go there. Okay? All right, all okay, right. Okay, but to get my green card, I had to stand in lines. I had to do everything. And we had the kids you know, on military soil in Germany, actually, too, mm-hmm. okay? So, you know, I do have a kind of a concern that people will get pregnant to have what they call like the hanger kids, mm-hmm. they get these children, hoping and automatically assuming that these children will be able to give them their citizenship. Well, it's not fair to the children, and it's not fair to. I, this is what my personal opinion. It does not mean this is not political, mm. because unfortunately these kids not become born here, they're raised here, they become very Americanized, but that, and, and yet that parent now may have a high potential of being kicked out of the country. Ouch. And that hurts the children. And I think also, especially since it's a misnomer that just because your child's an American is going to automatically grant you citizenship. 
All right, we're getting too far away from recruiting. So, well, we're coming back to recruiting, though. Okay. Okay. Now, what can this do to our economy? I mean, there's also a misnomer that a tremendous number of the people who are illegals are actually just out there, you know, and I'm not being discriminatory when I say this, but they're picking vegetables or doing house cleaning. Or That's a thought a lot of people have, that, that, that when you think illegal, you think of... Menial jobs. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I want to be careful what we said here. So. Yeah. Well, what, what some people say, meaning jobs, or what what I've heard some people say, um, that they do the jobs that uh, that other Americans don't want to do. Absolutely. I've, I hear that consistently as well. And that's there's a lot of truth to that. But actually, and I was looking at the statistics, a high propensity of the number of people who actually are legal here actually are doing jobs that you in your office right now. They, and then this is an interesting comment I heard. Every man, woman, and child in America knows at least one person, and at least, but they're not aware of it, who may be illegal and they just not know. Hmm. Working with them in their office, right down the street from them, whatever. But they're actually working, and some of them even work in government offices or in government positions, and the government doesn't even know. Another, um, another play on the phrase, in the closet. They're totally in the closet, exactly. They have phony paperwork, or they may have taken on a phony identity, you know, taking a, um uh identity of somebody that may have died or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who are out there like this, who are living here illegally, who are doing doctors, engineers, lawyers, in these type of roles. Mm-hmm. And they are providing to the American community. So what would happen right now? Let's just say if all of these people, and there's some of them too who are illegal, who are working in some of these high-level roles, who the, their companies do know that they're illegal, too. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, here's the question. If the government were to kick out every one of these people, and America, we have this major, um, everybody's talking about this war for talent we have, right? Right. Can you imagine how that will harm our industry? Harm our, harm our industry? If 6 million people leave all of a sudden? 12. 12 million people leave all of a sudden. Sure, that, that, that's an effect that would be. That's and actually, stuff. that's just 12 million that we think there are. There's probably about 20. But probably and in more California than that. alone, we've got like, what, five or two or something like that? Yeah, well, you can't. It's hard to measure that in the census. You're being illegal and you want to stay under the radar as much as possible. And by the way, what's an interesting comment, too, and this is on Boston Legal, by the way. Another mm-hmm. interesting comment that was said on, you know, there was a nice little conversation. They said, Oh, people call them undocumented. But they were saying, you know, these people are more documented than most Americans are. You've got banks like Capital One, Bank of America, who offer these people loans. They have to have so many documents. They do pay taxes. They do pay Social Security. Maybe not to themselves, but to someone else. But they are paying into the system. Hmm. They have, a lot of these individuals do own homes. They do have driver's licenses. Many states actually do provide driver's licenses to illegals, like Utah, for example. California's talking about doing that. Sure. Well, I know they're they're a group to be exploited by a lot of different companies. Sure. Indeed, you know they're they are in a lot of ways they are being exploited because a lot of the, and remember there was an article that someone just recently had put out there. Um, they were talking about these lost people because a lot of the companies were under underpaying these can a lot of these individuals and say, oh, well, you're not going to go complain. Hmm. Okay, right. a lot of them too have money to come back to them by Social Security, and they can't claim it, or not to Social Security. I mean taxes. They paid out to taxes, and money was taken out of their check, and so they have all these refunds, but they can't claim them. Yeah. You know, so 
they unfortunately there the issue comes in now. But let's go back to employment in all this aspect too, okay? Mm-hmm. What would it do to our country if we were to lose twelve to twenty million people? In one swoop. Um, I, I guess it would. I guess the effect of the ripple or the, the ripple effect would, would depend on what industries they predominantly uh, are in. IT. <laughs> I don't know if there are 20 million um, I'm illegal. I'm being facetious. <laughs> that, but that would be a nightmare. <laughs> it's hard enough. For people who don't know, I, rec- I, uh, I uh, recruit um, software developers quite a bit all over the world, and I know um, that that's a especially difficult uh, skill set to consistently recruit for because um, – And uh, there are some companies that I am aware of that have literally – created phony visas for our people to come in and these guys have been working under phony visas. Oh yeah. I mean there's a that oh, yeah. is so rampant going on right now in America. Actually too in India there's a lot of people who are actually taking advantage of people wanting to come to America and they're selling these phony visas that are but they can't get in, okay? But there was one company here in California that this these guys were actually bringing people in and making slaves. Yeah, we did a story on that before, didn't we? We yeah, talked we about, um, I think it was Manpower who um, it was did something a man, like that. It, oh, Manpower it affiliate. A, it wasn't man. The company was called Manpower, yeah. and it might have been a franchise of Manpower. And they they got six legit visas, and then they photocopied and you know printed them and digitally fortified these things and brought these like forty something people in. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you know we have all these people working here in America. A lot of times we don't even know the situations they're in or if they're legal. You know, the guy next to you in the, at the table is really an American citizen. I mean, very few people know that I am not an Amer- was not an American citizen. I don't talk well, that's to That's not something people ask. Well, you know, then, unless you have, like, a super-duper super thick accent. And, baby, I can talk with America, a Beijing accent, anytime you want me to go. Yeah, but you, you don't normally talk that No, way. I won't talk like that. I chose to lose the accent on purpose for that reason. Hmm. So... For you to have known that I was from the Caribbean would have been me telling you. Maybe you can hear a twing come out from every now and again, but that could have been adopted from a parent or something, right? Right. And so it's easy to also adopt a new accent if necessary. I chose it because I was living in Utah, and I didn't think the Caribbean accent went down very well in in Utah. (laughs) Okay, it really didn't at the time when I used to live there, okay? Isn't there going to be a Mormon president out here? Uh, that's a different story. That's a different story. <laughs> that could happen, but no, that's a different story. But you know, I lived there, and I mean, people, I had, I faced some issues with having that accent, all and right. especially working with people on the phone all the time. So it was that's one of the reasons I talk so fast too. Hmm. So it became necessary for me to learn how not to have that and those inflections. The Caribbean inflections were had to be determined. You know, that was it. So, in other words, here we, you know, when you really think about it, you know, there are so many people around you who are, could, you know, when we talk about this war for talent and the baby boomers and what's going to happen with the baby boomers all retire, which are not going to retire at one time. Mm. But every single day in America, we've got people who are being kicked out because the government is cracking down. Now, I'm not saying that the government isn't right. I'm not saying that they should not be doing it because I'm on I'm on both sides here. I see the good and I see the bad. 
I see, wow, you know, I came into this country legal. I stood in lines. I did everything right. I did every documentation, made sure every I was dotted, every T was crossed. I paid money to lawyers. Mm-hmm. And, gee, you know, you shouldn't. And then also, by the way, if I get a citizenship, there's another thing I have an issue with, too. Mm-hmm. I can now bring every my mother, my father, my brother, and my sister, and I can sponsor them in this country. Yep. So the day I got my citizenship just in San Diego, there were 1,700 people who got it. That didn't include L.A., San Francisco, New York, New York City. Or, I mean, it didn't include all these other areas. It was just my little wonderful San Diego. Hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, those are just illegals. And can we support that much? Can America really support having that many people coming in on that influx all the time? That's an interesting question because we only have so much space. But on the flip side of that, that's the whole cornerstone of America. I mean, well, you, you can't gotta, you can't really describe an American because an American is everybody. That's true. I mean, that's how we were founded. I mean, isn't that what America was about? Emigration, coming to America, getting on the you know the the Mayflower and coming here and seeing the beautiful Statue of Liberty and knowing you were going to become American. I mean, that's like why I came here too. You know, I loved the fact I was now part of American soil. You know. Yeah. But then again. There are people who come here and they have an American child, um, what they call the hanger kit, and now they can decide, okay, I'm going to take advantage of the system as well. So we now have where they do have some who do, not everyone. Please forgive me. I'm not stereotyping here, okay? But here in California, for example, we, we have such a problem with the medical system being taken advantage of by many of the immigrants, that, uh, illegal immigrants that come here, mm. or the education system. We can't support and afford to pay for all the people who have their kids here as well, and they're not legal. They themselves were not legal. So can our system, and then, of course, too, they're not being paid very highly. They're not making a tremendous money. So these kids also get on the, medic, um, the food plan at school and stuff like that, too. So, again, it's causing a crunch because many of these people here, there's many of us, uh, many of them in California that are not being paid well because they're being taken advantage of. Right. Now, when people say, too, that they're, they're, not, they're taking the jobs that our Americans won't want, that's true. They are. I mean, I'm sorry, but my kids will not want to go work at the Marriott doing maid service. Well, you know what? That could be adjusted because prior to um – an influx of immigrants. I mean, somebody did a job. It was, it was obviously people who were here. Otherwise, it would not have done. Those businesses would not have prospered to the point where they are now. Jim, we talked about that once, and I'm going to say this to you. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about stereotyping and bring back racism? That's right. I remember that conversation. I mean, when I, hear, when I think of that, and I think about back in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, the, most of the individuals who were doing those type of work, well, do you think do you think it could revert to that in oh, this day and age? Oh, definitely, because it's a stereotype that comes to it. In fact, what is the stereotype about the person who is illegal? The stereotype is that person is picking asparagus or beans in the field. But see, you know what? I, 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 we, we went back we went back and forth on this earlier. But I keep thinking, just for the benefit of the audience, uh, Karen and I we talk and we argue much more. Uh, outside of the podcast, you know, you guys are listening to the sanitized, friendly version of it. But you know what? I think some, I think every now and then we're going to just, I'm going to put an unedited, an unbleached 
uh, <laughs> uncut version of this podcast. Sometimes. He doesn't swear. I do. He doesn't. <laughs> well, you can, that's because you can bring your point apart uh, across without using um, expletives. You're teaching me. You're teaching me. Uh, well, anyway, um, I knew I had a mind for it. I lost, lost my train of thought. No, you were talking about, you know, we were talking about regarding how would that create the would that, would that create research? Oh, yeah, and, and, and yeah, and I was saying how that in today's time you have the internet by itself. I look at it as a great equalizer. I mean, some people think it's, it's too much hype around it, mm-hmm. but I see the internet as a great equalizer. If you can master it, if you understand, I even not even master internet, whatever that means, but if like like this cartoon, the famous cartoon as in the New Yorker, that said um, on the internet, no one knows you're a dog. Mm-hmm. And it was a dog at a computer talking to a cat. Mm-hmm. You know, on the internet, no one really knows who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can leverage that uh, professionally very well. I gotta say something. I was watching a movie called Freedom Riders, and yep. in the Freedom Riders, there was the teacher. She was mentioning to them about the Holocaust. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she talked about the propaganda about how they would show Jews with these large nose like rats. You know, they made the nose look like rats, and they made their faces look like that. Mm-hmm. And they would make these flyers go all over the country, and all of, they would staple them on these boards, and, and then they made the stereotype about what people were like. Well, we're doing, in a lot of ways, you could say that we were doing the same type of stereotype at times with the Internet in regards to the Middle East, to many Middle Easterns. After 9-11, remember what happened to many Middle Easterns? There were a lot of people who got beat up. That's true. So the thing is, the Internet can, do, can be just as dangerous it's not well, you're not really selling me on that one, though, because I'm thinking, all right, let's take, for example, we're going to, let's go back in time here, talk about World War II, and here in America, um, uh, African Americans were discriminated a great deal, mm-hmm. uh, although they did fight and, and die. And what about country. Asians? That's that as well. Well, the Japanese, I mean, yeah, what about okay. the Japanese camps in America? All right, wait, that's right, but wait a second, wait a second, um, okay. uh, one um, minority at a time here. So okay. I'm talking about African Americans now, over here in the States, um, there was a lot of discrimination and so forth, but over in Paris, mm-hmm. you know, African Americans were revered. They were, you know, uh, the hottest fashion, and, and just, you know, everybody wanted to date the black guy or the black and woman. Katie was doing really well up there. <laughs> Josephine Baker, who was an yeah, international exactly. superstar. And exactly. for those who don't know Josephine Baker, please look her up. She's That's one of my. That's her nickname was Kitty, by the way. One of my all-time heroes. She heroes, was Josephine doing, Baker. She was just kicking it over there, man. She was the hero, heroine of the world. So let me let me let me bring my, bring this to a point, so people say, like, okay, they're going to tangent again, which we sometimes do here in the lounge. Uh, the point is, although uh, African Americans were not necessarily revered here in the United States, they were revered in Paris. Mm-hmm. Now, someone who's who's going through some sort of issues in their own country can get on the internet, start a business, and do business with another country uh, at a very low expense, where they don't have those discriminatory issues. And I've read of, and I know of different um, country, uh, excuse me, companies who employ people all over the world who they never see face-to-face. Mm-hmm. They do it all virtually. Mm-hmm. So um, there is some truth to that. But even with them, that is the truth that they are living in a virtual world, having a great um, employment in that virtual world. But in reality, the moment they walk out of their house, they're facing their their own problems as well. But you know what? People respect power. This is getting into a political show. No, that's Pe- all right. People respect power. If someone if, you, if they don't, if someone doesn't like a particular minority, mm-hmm. but that particular minority has a ton of money, they are going to respect them to an extent. Uh, they may not like them. They may say bad things about them behind their back or whatever. But they're going to say, well, you know what? 
This guy has a lot of money. I can't really go up against him because he well, has there's that kind of clout. truth to that. I mean, in fact, one of the re- the things that's a, it's, there's always been the comments, too, I mean, that a predominant race in America has a tremendous amount of money because, our religion, I should say, that they have a tremendous money because they made sure that they did that to try to overcome any of the um, oppression that they had faced before. Mm. Okay, that's what, you know, there's some people who say that that's what they did is they taught their kids, hey, to overcome oppression, you have to be the best, you know? And there's some, probably some very strong, tangible truth to that. The thing is, though, is how do you get people to believe that? Even in employment, even in employment, you have stereotypes that will always come about. I mean, why do you think there's so many women business? Why is women business is the fastest growing segment of any growing business? Female, well, female entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism is is uh, is the hottest trend as far as entrepreneurialism goes. Fastest growing segment, you know, and why? Is that they, because people aren't recruiting them? No, because well, the glass ceiling it still exists. I mean, all you have to do is look at the boardrooms, and you know that there's only like what is it, twelve or thirteen CEOs, female CEOs. You know, uh, out of all of these businesses on the board and the top 500, there's only 12 female CEOs. Out of 500 companies? Out of 500 companies. So that indicates to you that there's a glass ceiling of some sort? Well, there's 50% women that live in, actually there's more than, actually there's more women than there are men in America. And I'm already married. Sorry, ladies. I know, exactly. We know there's a glass ceiling because, in fact, I'm going to give you a heads up, your daughter yeah. Do you know that your daughter's ability, to, the chances of her daughter or even her granddaughter ever making the same amount of money when, before she died is, I mean, zero to, zero to nil? Um, statistic, statistically, I maybe can see the argument, but I don't choose to see it that way. You look but at you a, work in IT. Well, you look at examples like, like Madam C.J. Walker, just do a, a history lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, her, her hair business. Mm-hmm. Made her the first. I think she's the first African American millionaire. Absolutely. And she did it in a time where blacks were discriminated, and especially women were discriminated. Okay. I think, I think it comes down to passion, and it comes down to personal attributes. Oh, a lot of times. Not everybody can own a business, and everybody wants to own a business. And I got to come back to you on this too. Should you have to have to deal with that? Should you have to have to own a company to get equality, or should you not have the same rights? Um. Everyone should have okay. Everyone should have equal rights. You know. Yeah, I mean, true, I shouldn't have to have to go out and own a company. I shouldn't have to go open a business just because I don't. I want to be able to hit that glass ceiling. I mean, and that's where the problem. I or I. I should be able to say, look, I'm going to earn. I mean, America loses millions and millions of dollars a day because women aren't being paid equally. So, to related to recruitment, discrimination in recruiting practices uh, hurts a, com- a company a great Immensely. deal. And not just the company, it's hurting our industries, it hurts our economy. When, okay, when our economy suffers, then there's less jobs. You know, speaking on, on that, I, I was reading this article in the Wall Street Journal today about uh, dwindling numbers of students uh, enrolling in different IT uh, type of classes, uh, which is why it's getting tougher and tougher to find software developers and mm-hmm. software engineers uh, in the United States, um, especially because there are not that many uh, students enrolling in those type of programs. Let's go back to the H-1B visa thing? Okay. Yeah, but especially uh, women aren't enrolling in these different schools. I don't know if it, it is a perception that uh, computer and IT is strictly uh, a male geek uh, <laughs> stereotype, 
Um, but there is a dwindling number of women enrolling in computer science classes. Well, you know, when I come back to something interesting about women, by the way, that's interesting. I read another article that more women are graduating um, in schools and business and et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. But do you know that more women actually, when they graduate, are not doing very well in business? When they get in, when they leave school, they may have done really well in school, but unfortunately, when they leave school and go into the business world, they're not adapting well. So they understand the philosophy, but the tactical of it, yeah, the the, uh, the implementation of what they learn is, is not really well. I'm wondering if it has a lot to do also with how they're being treated. You know, because they were always talking about that before in the colleges, how women were always treated a little bit more with the pink, you know, with the pink collar kind of attitude. Is it possible that women are being given a little bit more of a less of an edge while in school and college, but for some reason they're not they're not coming in prepared. Sabotage. You heard it here in the Critters Lounge, uh, spoken by Karen Madden. Women are not getting a fair shake because they're being sabotaged by their male cohorts. Maybe we're being sabotaged by ourselves. Or by ourselves. I mean, it's possible because, you know, the same thing keeps going on and how we perpetuate a lot of our society. And all the stuff that we're talking about, I mean, we know that discrimination is there. We know that discrimination is reality. In fact, we talked earlier in another show that, you know, you know, um, empl- uh, employment-related lawsuits are still 500, uh, more than 450 a day, right? They're more yeah. than 450 a day, yeah. 2,000 percent up, okay, since 1978. So we know that the internet's not helping. In fact, I consider the internet actually possibly a breeding ground for hate. In fact, did you not see just recently how the Taliban has a job ad out there? <laughs> Newsweek was right about it. Are you serious? It. No, I'm serious. The Newsweek wrote about it. You know what? I, you know what? The Taliban is advertising. The Taliban is advertising with IT guys. More power to them. That makes it easier for us to track them. And they and, and just, actually, and just for being Taliban stupid. And just for being stupid. Al Qaeda, whoever. If, whenever they do anything in the public, I'm glad because it makes it easier to, for them to be caught. And well, you think at least it was in there, but on their territory, right? But you know, and they go to the gym and they actually are also recruiting in the jailhouses, and then they go on the internet MySpace. They recruit as well. So I don't and know. And that's another thing you say there too, because I did a uh, a few blog posts uh, on my blog jimstroud.com talking about how um, I used to do quite a few of them actually. Maybe I need to go back to that. Where I examined recruiting techniques of terrorist um, organizations, and I saw especially on Orkut, which is Google's. Um, uh, group uh, group forum, ORCUT, O-R-K-U-T. Mm-hmm. You do a search there for Osama bin Laden, and you find, like, honestly, probably a hundred, a couple of hundred or so. Uh, maybe not a couple of hundred, but you, you find a significant number of Osama bin Laden fan clubs. It was amazing. And it was yeah. crazy. And then, and then they have, they have, and for those who are curious, go to ORCUT, O-R-K-U-T, dot com, and check it out for yourself. And you, you see these fan clubs, and you see all of these members, and what blows my mind, and I'm, and I'm very glad they're doing this, you know, that, that, don't get me wrong, I don't want them to stop, just for the super reason it's being stupid, because they'll say, I'm a big fan be of some Bin Laden. Don't say that. Okay, 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 well, all right, all right. Be all right. careful, don't say the word stupid when you talk about the Al-Qaeda, okay? You're on public forum here, okay? You don't want any hate mail here, Well, I don't want any hate mail, but I'll tell you what, if I was purposely going to go out and try to destroy a country or do some kind of terrorist act, I would not join a fan club, and I would not put my picture up, and I wouldn't say what city and state or country I reside in as saying I'm sympathetic to terrorists. I, I just think that's just a little bit questionable. Um, 
It's that it's uneducated, uninformed. Maybe let's use those words instead. Um, let's be careful. What you said. What you said. What you said. Uh, yeah, I'm a little. Yeah, I'm a little nervous here because we are using. I, I want to be careful how we use what words we use when we go when we're talking about us. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Especially on the internet. Yeah. Okay. We don't get political. Yeah. No, not a matter of political. It's, it's like I'm just a little nervous. I'm a little scared here. Okay. I'm, I'm scared. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the word terrorism comes to mind here. Okay. All right. All right okay. So I'm being paranoid. Um, let's just put it that way. I'm being paranoid. But you know what? I still. I, what I used to do, I, I would always, I don't always do this. I, I used to do this a lot um, when I worked for this other company. But I would study how terrorists recruit and try to see how those kind of techniques could be cleaned up for legitimate purposes. That's, I mean, it's not a bad idea because look at the military. I mean, one, in fact, I think it was John Sumner who wrote about this. Not John Sumner. It wasn't Sumner. It was Terry uh, Crispin. Crispin. Yeah, oh, he's a big fan of how the Army recruits. Cause oh, they If you are, look um, at the military recruiting techniques, I mean, they are they are the cutting edge. I mean, they are. you got to look they at it. They are cutting edge. I mean, here we are in the midst of a war, and they have some of the highest numbers in regards to their recruits as of late. Yep. You know they're they're doing something right. I mean, you see them on you see them on MySpace. You see them in the virtual world. You see them um, with online games. You see that they're among the first to um, use video and, and well, um, podcasts. Can I say something though? They are doing something that's really interesting. That's a little nerve wracking though. What's that? In some states, they are allowing individuals who had criminal records to now be in the military. Really. And you do realize that when you, whatever, you know, that means that your records can become expunged or become sealed because you joined the military because you can't ask, you know, legally you can't ask about the military backgrounds or why the person leaves and stuff like that, right? Well, I guess it depends on, that could be good or it could be bad. It, it could be good, but it could be like, okay. Uh, well, what about this? Okay, it depends on who, who they're getting at. I'm sure they wouldn't recruit some psycho killer. But then again, maybe they would and send them in the right place and say, hey, do what you do best. I do have a theory on that. You know, I'm sorry this is political, but there's a lot of very interesting criminals in the jail system and we are financially supporting many of these criminals. It would be an interesting thing if we you know we kind of instead of taking some of our young innocent children or to take some of these very well known and and capable we know that they're capable of killing so well-known, capable of killing people, and take them over there and allow them to do the job. You know what? That would be a very interesting. I, I, I'm, I don't know if you know this, but I'm really into comics, or at least I used to be. I used to read a lot of comics. Mm-hmm. Me and Spider-Man, we no. go way back. No, I would well, never believe it. He's yeah. got a great comic strip, everybody. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, it's called The Recruiting Life. Let me go ahead and do the shameless plug since you mentioned it. Go for it. it. It's called The Recruiting Life, and it's the only comic strip online um, about the recruiting industry. You can check it out on my blog, jimstroud.com. Okay. Now, there is a comic book um, from the 80s called Suicide Squad. And what you said made me think about it. What Suicide Squad was, um, it was this um, military guy. I think his name was Duke or something. I don't remember. Some, some kind of tough-sounding name, Duke or something. Anyway, he would take the worst supervillains, like all the people that Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman put in jail. Mm-hmm. This guy would put some kind of... Um, uh, some kind of gizmo in their body, he inject them with a bomb in some sort of way that they couldn't take out, and then he would take them out in the field. And he'd say, okay, go out here and follow my orders, and if you um, complete your missions, you get to come back safely and you get reduced jail time. But if you try to take off and you leave me or you try to attack me or something like that, well, the bomb will go off and kaboom, you're dead on the spot. So oh, really? It was a very interesting comic book. So <laughs> when you talked so about <laughs> now, when you talked about sending out convicts out into, into wartime, 
I thought about the comic book because I thought, man, that was just like that comic. They did it that way. Plus, that would be a really cool movie, action hey, movie. That would be an interesting movie, wouldn't interesting it? interesting action movie. Hey, okay, if anybody decides to use this idea, you owe us royalties, okay? That's right, that's right. And all you have to do is just contact me at Jim Stroud, that's J-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D, at JimStroud.com, and I'll be sure to share it 50-50 or at least 90-10 with my co-host. <laughs> Well, it goes, Karen Matt. Any uh, final words there, KM? Uh, this was just fun. I like this one. Thank you. I had fun with you today. It was good for me, too. Notice it was only for today, right? <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right now, millions of people are looking for and finding jobs on the Internet. But are you getting paid when they find a job? Well, now you can. When online employment sites like Monster and CareerBuilder came on the scene, they took billions of dollars out of the pockets of the recruiter. But now, there's a new sheriff in town called WorkGiant, the recruiter's best friend. WorkGiant is empowering recruiters throughout the country to take back your industry. WorkGiant is a national and broadly focused job board, but with some very distinct differences. One difference is with WorkGiant, employers and recruiters can post jobs for free, search the resume database for free, and only pay 1% upon a hire. WorkGiant markets through professionals in the industry. Why? Because it's your industry. As a professional recruiter, you have the employer relationships. You have the job seeker contacts. It is your industry. It's yours to take back now. WorkGiant will never replace recruiter value-added services. In fact, we offer you a way to monetize 95% of the market that currently goes to the online job board industry. Refer current or former clients and surplus job seekers to your WorkGiant affiliate website. Refer once and you own the relationship. Then, get paid every time they make a hire for as long as they make hires. Someone is going to lock up your employer contacts. It might as well be you. Every time a hire is made by one of your clients or one of your job seeker referrals, you get paid. It's that easy. So take back your industry with the power of residual income from WorkGiant. Well, that's it for this show. You've been a wonderful audience. If you like what you heard, love what you heard, or <laughs> just plain hate what you just heard, uh, let me know. Your feedback matters. You can reach me through my website at jimstroud.com slash podcast. That's J-I-M-S-T-R-O-U-D dot com slash podcast. So until next time, I'm Jim Stroud, and you're not. Radio, radio, radio Innovative audio on demand. And so this ends this edition of the Retro Lounge, home of classic episodes of the Recruiter's Lounge podcast. If you haven't already, uh, subscribe now so you don't miss a future episode. Okay, cool. Until next time, bye-bye. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!